What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, I want you to turn to uh, chapter 1, verse 8, please. Chapter 1, verse 8. Again, um, I told this to the first service, but uh, I want to tell it to you guys. I, I would request prayer for myself, for Nestor, for Bill Rodriguez, Nestor Medina, Bill Rodriguez, as we are the teaching team on, on this book of Revelation. I feel like because Jesus wants to reveal, the enemy doesn't want things to be revealed. And so this book is offers a promise. And so when that promise, that's so good, understand there's going to be attacks that come from the enemy. So I covet your prayers as we go forward. Revelation 1, verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And I want you to highlight that, please, because understand that this is where you need to kind of jump in as if you're in a driving a car. This is where you need to be seated as you go through this entire book far above everything so you can rest in Christ. Now, I want you to keep your place there. I want you to turn to Revelation 21.6. Revelation 21.6, please. And you're going to see the same language that's in Revelation 1, verse 8. It's, it's similar in Revelation 21.6. It says this, and he said to me, it is done. You might want to highlight that. It is done. It is done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is what? Finished. Like this thing is over, game over. We won. I want you to understand as well, in Revelation 19, verse 11, where Jesus comes back and he crushes his enemies, that is the same passage that describes Revelation chapter 2, while the nations rage and they said, you will not rule over us, God looks at heaven and he laughs. He holds them in derision, Revelation chapter 2, because they're like little ants saying, You're not going to rule over us. It's comical to him who's seated on the throne because he says in Revelation chapter 2, I've set my king on my holy hill. That was written a thousand years before Christ was even born. I've set my king on my holy hill. The first prophecy in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3 where God prophesies to Satan, you will bruise his heel, but I will crush your head. I will take your authority, Satan through the seed that comes from the womb. And so we are seeing the fulfillment of biblical prophecy in this book. And God wants you to know that it is done, that it is finished. Look at what he says next in Revelation 21.6. I am the what? Alpha and the omega. That's the same thing that's said in verse 8. I am the beginning and the end. It is done. As I was getting ready today, I said, Lord, what do you want me to wear today? And I usually do that. Sometimes he answers me. You might be looking at my outfit today. He didn't answer you today, bro. (laughs) That wasn't him, homie. But listen, (laughs) the first thing that came to my mind was these shorts that I haven't worn in a long time, right? Beach shorts. And I put it on and I'm like, okay, yeah, it is done. He's the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end. Revelation is about going to the beach. 
We get freaked out about it because we don't walk with God's perspective, but understand that revelation is game over. Like, it is done. No need to worry. No need to fear. Our God reigns. He's victorious. He's the king. There is no other. So I can take my shoes off. I'm at the beach today. By the way, shout out to Kat, who bought me this shirt from KA. You know, you know. And I'm just going to ride and abide today because he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And it is what? It's finished. It's done. It's done. Ready, bake oven, baby. Come on. Now, those who know Christ, you're not going to the ready, bake oven, by the way. It's for the other people. But anyway, sorry, bad joke, Lord. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Help me, God. Verse 1, it says the revelation. Now, revelation, it means this, the removing of the veil. The removing of the veil. Like God wants to remove a veil to show you what's going to happen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So God wants to show his servants, that's not the world, that's the church. We are the servants of God. And so God wants to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And so if you're taking note, I wanna talk about a few things right here. Number one, the heart of God is love. And because he's loving, just like a parent wouldn't just say, hey, go play in the street, a loving parent says, hey, let me teach you how to play in the street. Let me teach you how to look both ways. Loving parents communicate to their kids what is about to come so that they're ready. The motive of this book is love because our dad wants to reveal, you see that listed, he wants to show, and he wants to make things known to us. Your dad wants to reveal, to show, and make things known. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to turn to Isaiah 30, please, Isaiah 30. We're going to be in Isaiah a bunch of times. Isaiah 30, verse 18. I want you to understand the heart of God. When we look at the Old Testament, right, we see Abraham and Lot, the Bible says in Hebrews, uh, was a righteous man, was a righteous man. And God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he informed Abraham before that happened in order that Lot could be rescued before the destruction came. This is the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever that does not change, that told Noah that was a righteous man, hey, destruction is coming on this earth, so here's what I want you to do because I want to rescue that from this destruction. God is good, he is loving, and he wants to save his kids from what's coming. Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Some of you think he's a bad dad that's mad. So you don't come to him. I used to think like that a lot. God's redeeming me of that. 
because I just had coaches, no dad. My dad died when I was two. I had coaches in my life. What were they focused on? Performance, performance, performance. And when I performed well, I got kudos. So I'm going to work really, really hard for God because he's the same way. Don't do that. He is waiting to be gracious to you. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is the power to do what you can't do when it comes time to do it. And so your dad's waiting for you to mess up, so you call on him. I need you, daddy. We can go home right now. I love that verse. The father's waiting to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So as as he waits for us, Lord, we guys, we wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. Jesus says, don't call anybody teacher. Why? Because he's the teacher right here. And look at this next verse. You need to highlight this for those who don't know which way to go. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Christian, do you walk with an expectation that your dad is going to speak to you? Do you walk with that expectation? Do you trust that he is good? That he has things planned out for you? One of the things I love doing when my kids were little, to surprise them and not tell them what was coming. And Jesus says, if you, parents who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven? He is so good, and he loves you. And this is why, verse 1, back to Revelation chapter 1, and hopefully you meditate on verse uh, 21 of Isaiah 30, Revelation chapter 1 is so extremely important to you that he wants to reveal, he wants to show, and he wants to make it known to you because he loves you. Amos 3.7 says this, and you can just jot this down. God doesn't do anything, my own translation, by the way. God doesn't do anything until he shows his servants, the prophets. Let me, let me read it to you before I give you my. For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servant, the prophets. That's Amos 3.7. God doesn't do anything in the world without revealing it to his prophets. Guess what? Again, it is done. It is finished. We're going to see how everything's going to go down. Because we're servants. There is, unfortunately, bad doctrine in the church of Jesus Christ. That says, oh, didn't Jesus said no one knows the hour? Didn't he say that? Yeah, he did say that. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't know. How many have heard somebody say, yeah, you shouldn't know the hour? Jesus said you can't know it. How many people have heard that? Like two? I think it's everybody. Yeah, Jesus said it shouldn't, we shouldn't know, no one knows the hour, so why even bother with it? Understand, that's not God. 
Why is that not God? Because that's in the context of Matthew 24 and 25. Matthew 24 and 25, we're not going to go there today because we'll be going through it in the book of Revelation. But Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus answers the question to his disciples, Jesus, when are you coming? What will be the signs of your coming? And then he gives them not just a a paragraph, but two full, very long chapters, and he tells them, hey, this is how it's going to go down. Why? Because he wants to reveal. He wants you to know because Jesus is love. And in that, in Matthew 24, he says, no one knows the time and the hour. But in context, he's spending two chapters on giving you hints onto when that is because he wants us to know. Understand this as well. There is a one to eight ratio for the first coming of Christ and the second coming to Christ, meaning that eight times more is the second coming talked about more than the first coming talked about. And when Jesus came to the religious leaders and he showed up for the first coming, he rebuked them because they didn't know the times. We've got eight to one. We've got eight more scriptures on the second coming, and most of the church is asleep and has no idea what's coming. And when we don't know what's coming, we don't know how to live. People, when is it going to be back to normal? When's COVID? When's COVID? Listen, it's not going to get back to normal. Deception is going to increase. The love of many will grow cold. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a what? A standard. So we need to look for that standard. Not focus on the flood and complain about the flood. And, oh, when's it going to go back? When's it going to go back? No, no, no. Jesus said birth pains, Matthew 24, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Then the baby's going to come. Pestilence will increase. Hello, world. COVID, the whole world, pestilence increased. Wow, man. Help me, Lord. Your dad loves you. He wants to show you, and he wants to make things known to you. So here's your application. When I walk with my father, do I have an expectation that he's going to speak to me? Do I have an expectation that he's going to speak to me? So in 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about, verse 13, that temptations are going to come to Christians. They're going to keep coming, right? Jesus even said, pray, pray, leave me not into temptation, but temptations are going to come. But it says there that he always makes a way of escape. The problem is we don't take it. Whenever you're tempted, there's always a way out. I can give you story after story of story about how many times I said, eh, thanks for that way of escape, but I'm going to stay here. And so just like I can expect when the temptation comes, he's going to make a way that I can expect No matter what, I'm going to hear that voice behind me, and my dad wants to reveal things to me. My sheep, they know my voice, and a stranger's voice, they will not follow. God, he wants to reveal to us what he's doing. The second thing that I want you to get from this passage is, you see that that part in verse 1? 
where it says, must soon take place. And so, you know, uh, that is where we get the word tachometer, where there is a ticking up, like when you rev up your car, that right? And so that's the word that's there, must soon take place. It's ticking up, ticking up, ticking up. And we know, we know with Matthew chapter 24, that when birth pains happen, there's going to be an increase and increase, then the baby's going to come. So we can look at things uh, getting greater in number, greater in frequency as we go forward, according to what Jesus says. Now, I want you to know that the clock, the end time clock has already started. If you would, if you would, please turn to Luke chapter 21, please. Luke chapter 21. Jesus has given this world a sign of the time so that we know the time is near. The time is near. Luke 21, verse 20. Luke 21, verse 20. It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains Luke 21, verse 20, let those who are inside the city depart, let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill what is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. And you might want to highlight wrath against this people. This came to fulfillment in 70 AD, where Jerusalem was surrounded, and great wrath was poured out on that city, and millions of Jewish people died, and they were scattered to the nation. Some went to Africa, some went to the mountains, some went up into Europe. In fact, you can go research the Arch of Titus, because Titus of Asphazian in 70 AD destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem, and they took back Israelites up through Rome into Europe. And the Arch of Titus has the inscription on the inside of a menorah, and all kinds of different things, celebrating the victory and the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? So these are historical facts. The dispersion happened, and the Israelites have been gone from Israel for almost 2,000 years. Now, why is that important, Chris? Thanks for asking. Look at verse 24 of Luke. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. Again, that happened in 70 AD. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles. You might want to highlight that. Why is that important? Because for the last almost 2,000 years, Jerusalem has been ruled by Gentiles. It wasn't until 1967 in the Six-Day War where Israel took over Jerusalem. So, This is an amazing prophecy that Jesus says, that Jerusalem will be run by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So there is going to be a switch, there is going to be a change, and that has already happened, which has started the end-time prophecy clock. Now, Will, if you can put up the picture of Israel 
So this is the Middle East, and I want to talk to you real quick about this because there's this spirit of the age that is anti-Israel and anti-Christ. Everything green are Islamic countries, Muslim countries. You see that little red dot right there? That's Israel. You can barely see it. It's right in the middle. And what do you hear in the news Israel's occupation is removing the Palestinians. Listen, this isn't about the Palestinians. It isn't about the land. If any Muslim nation, and by the way, Kuwait is pretty nice, so I've heard. Qatar. Um, they could have taken all of those people if they wanted them to, but they haven't. Why? Because this isn't about the land. There's something else that's demonic that's going on, and the drama's not going to cease and people keep crying out, peace for the Middle East. And there's going to come one who's the Antichrist that's going to say, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you for seven years and halfway through, break the covenant. We'll get into that later. But that's what's going down. That's why it's happening, because prophecy is going to be fulfilled. So do not believe the hype that Israel's the bad guy. They are completely surrounded by Egypt, who when the brother, Muslim Brotherhood said, we want to wipe Israel off the map. Be careful of the narratives and the news that you're listening to. Well, Chris, what about the Palestinians? Hey, listen, Jesus loves the Palestinians. He died for them. But he also has an end-time plan. I want you to listen to this. We don't have time to go there. In Isaiah 11, 11, God promised to stretch out his hand and to regather Israel from the four corners of the earth a second time. A second time. And he has done that. People are coming back to Israel right now. We also know from Hosea 3, 4, and 5 that it would occur during the last days. And we also know from Amos 9.15, that Israel will never be uprooted again. Let me say that. Israel will never be uprooted again. This is a bold statement coming from a God who said this, all of this stuff, way before Jesus was even born. Listen to this, verse 15 of Amos 9. I will plant them on their land. Whose land is it? Israel's. God gave it to them. It's a covenant with them. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. This is what God declares. We need to be very careful who we're aligning with and who we're coming against in these last days and times because Israel is the apple of God's eyes. The Jewish nation is going to suffer as a whole really, really bad during the tribulation, by the way. They'll come into it, 144,000, where they'll realize that, man, Jesus, you are Yeshua, the Messiah, forgive us. They're going to weep and cry because they pierced him. But they're not going to all come in until the tribulation starts. So we need to be interceding for Israel. We need to be aligning with Israel. Will, go ahead and put up that picture as well of the plane. So this is uh, 2020 in December. These are... Ethiopian Jews from Africa 
that are coming back into Israel, and Israel is flying people all from around the world, especially it's ramping up because persecution of Jews is is escalating in Europe right now, and so Israel is calling people home. It's happening, and it's happening just like the Bible said over 2,000 years ago. It's happening. No other time in the history of the world has a country been removed from their little piece of land, been dispersed for 2,000 years, and then brought back to the land. It's never happened. Not only that, but they speak the same language as they did before they left. That's never happened as well. That was also a prophecy. I don't have time to go there. Anyway, I'm so excited. And I'm never going to finish this chapter because we're on verse one. Some of you, you know, like, I know people have issues. What are you, a Zionist? What are you, this? No. Just read the Bible. Jesus loves everybody. But you need to be very careful of what you're reading and hearing and listening to. And again, he wants to show his servants. He wants to reveal things, not conceal them. Why? Because he loves us. All right, verse 2. B-Rod, where's your level of faith that I'm going to do it, baby? Come on, man. Let faith arise. Let my enemies be sad. Anyway, verse 2, verse 2, verse 2. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads, and I want you to highlight reads, aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear, I want you to highlight hear, and who keep, I want you to highlight keep, what is written in it for the time is near. So God is saying again, the time is near, the time is near, the time is near. We see the signs of the times happening, the time is near. And so we are blessed when we read this, hear this, keep it. Read, hear, keep, read, hear, keep. First of all, I want to say you're welcome. I'm reading it to you out loud today. And no matter how bad the sermon may be, you're still getting blessed. It's like I can't fail today, guys. You know what I'm saying? All I got to do is read. The second thing is this. As you go through this book, it's my prayer that you would cry out for a heart that says, God, help me to really hear Help me to really keep and help me to read your word with an expectation because point number one, you want to reveal, you want to show. You're my, you're my dad. You love me. And so help me not be like those that say, oh, this is too hard. Oh, it's too complicated. Oh, it's too this. No, 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 no. I want to walk by faith just believing my dad is good and he wants to show me. But also, man, give me ears to hear. Help me to read it with a passion and help me to keep it. And I need your grace to do that. And when your faith meets the word of God, revival happens. And you begin to see things like Jesus sees things, and your whole life changes. No wonder the false news or the fake news of Revelation is just so hard to understand. 
is so common in the church because you see the preciousness of just these first two verses. Who do you think wants you to believe that? It's not God. He wants to bring revelation. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now here is where we get doctrine from the book of Revelation. I want you to go back in four and five and I want you to highlight from. Grace and peace to you from, and then it says, and from the seven spirits, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. This is the Trinity. And many people have a hard time grasping the Trinity. Three persons, they are all God, but they are one. I love the description of H2O, water, right? You can freeze it, it's solid. You can heat it, it's vapor. If you leave it room temperature, it's liquid. It's still H2O, but in three different forms. And some people don't like that. They like the three-leaf clover. It doesn't really matter. Whatever works for you, baby. (laughs) Just know that the Holy Spirit is God. Just know that Jesus is God. And sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like a redheaded stepchild. And we have a wrong view of the Trinity. Don't do that. And So thank you, Jesus, that you're helping us get our doctrine right. You're helping us get our doctrine right. I want you to turn to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. Some of us get freaked out about the Holy Spirit. There's no reason to get freaked out about the Holy Spirit. Some people throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit's described in Isaiah 11. And when you look at people, you can tell they're walking in the spirit because they have these attributes. You can tell they're not walking in the spirit if they do not have these seven attributes. Don't get it twisted. So I want you to highlight some phrases for me. There shall come forth, Isaiah 11, 2, from the shoot of the stump of Jesse. Why is that important? Remember what we did in Ruth? Obed, Jesse, right? So this is the lineage of David where Christ would come through. And so from this root, from this root, it shall bear fruit. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, shall rest upon Jesus. What did you say in Luke 4? The spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me. He's upon me, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Lord. You want to highlight that, the spirit of the Lord. That's the first thing. It's the spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is God. Shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom. Highlight that, spirit of wisdom. So the Holy Spirit makes you wise. Understanding. The Holy Spirit gives you understanding. Spirit of counsel. Holy Spirit gives you counsel. Again, the wonderful counselor. He gives you might. Might is the next one. Highlight it. Spirit of knowledge. Highlight that again. Words of knowledge come through the Holy Spirit speaking. And then the final one is the fear of the Lord. 
like there is a fear and a reverence of the Lord. Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord, right? You hear people talk about this all the time. Hey, man, perfect love casts out all fear. Look, out of context. It doesn't cast out the fear of the Lord because that would be to cast out the Holy Spirit. Don't get it twisted. There needs to be a fear and a reverence before God, and we'll see more about that as Jesus reveals himself to John later on in this passage. But I wanted you to see this because... Christianity believes the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, and the Father is God. Please make sure your doctrine is biblical. The Holy Spirit's not weird. He's not going to make you weird. He's going to look like that when he comes. Verse 5, Revelation 1. To him who loves us. So this is written from the Trinity. And now it turns into like a praise, if you will. See, when you know God and who he is and all that he is, you can't help but praise him. Can I get a witness? To him who loves us. This whole book is about love because he loves his kids. Don't worry, be happy. And has freed us. I want you to highlight that, has freed us. That means past tense, that means you're free. Free from what? Free from our sins. Wow, Chris, I struggle with this sin. Listen, dead people don't struggle. The trick of the enemy is to get you to believe that this sin is so strong that you can't overcome it. And the simplicity of God's word says this, you have been freed by his blood. The blood of Jesus frees you, not your obedience. And so when I believe that I'm not free, I'm going to live like I'm not free. Listen, me overcoming pornography never would have happened until I met a friend of mine who had been free from that for three years. And all of a sudden, my faith rose and I started believing that I could be free like he was free because I was stuck, hidden in my sin and shame. And by the way, Jesus despised shame at the cross. So men who have walked in here with shame today... Put it on the cross. You're free from that today. But do you believe that? This is why Jesus said when his disciples said in John 6, hey, what's the work that we can do? What's the work that we can do? He said, the work that I want you to do is to what? Believe. Believe what I say is true and live like it's true. But if I don't believe, I'm not going to live. Listen, blessed if you read, hear, and keep the words of this book. Some of you just need to keep your focus right here on this. You have been freed from sin. You're free. You're free. And early in my walk, God, I'm never going to overcome this. It's too strong for me. I cannot do it. I wish I had somebody discipling me to bring me to this verse. And say, you've got to quit saying that. You've got to quit thinking that. You've got to quit focusing on that. Focus on the one who's made you free. 
and I'm going to walk with you until you walk out the freedom that's already been paid for. To say you're not free is the disrespect. Ah, and not believe what he says. Oh, God, I believe it. Help my unbelief. By the way, tonight, men, we got 80 men showing up tonight for our men's meeting. Yeah. Guys, I'm excited. I'm jazzed up. Because, men, if we start walking in what he has declared, our families and our communities are going to change. Jesus turned the upside, room, world upside down with 12. 80, what can 80 do? If I really believe in verse 6 that I'm a kingdom now, I'm part of a kingdom now, and there's a king, there can be no racism in that kingdom if I really believe it. But if I'm part of another kingdom and I identify with that kingdom, then guess what you're going to bring into this kingdom? Racism. Go see last week's sermon. If I really believe I'm a priest, you see that there? His blood made you a priest. That means I never have to ask for children's church workers again. Hallelujah. Because I got a bunch of priests saying, hey, I got to serve as a priest. Where can I sign up? My sister will be, I'm going to go over today. My sister will be happy I said that because we need people to sign up and start walking like priests. I'm blessed if I read, hear, and keep the words of this book. Come on, man. Verse 7. Behold, he's coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. I want you to see this. All the tribes on the earth, all the tribes on the earth are going to wail. This is why I believe in pre-trib rapture, because I'm not going to cry when I see Jesus coming. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be taken. When I see Jesus, who's my everything, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to shout. I'm going to do a little dance. I might fall as dead. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to wail. That's for those that don't know God. That's for Revelation 19, 11 on down. That's what's going to happen because they're going to understand, ooh, wow, he was it. And I never repented of my sins and I never gave my life to him. If everybody on the earth mourns, that's because the church isn't there. She's raptured. And we'll get more into this later. And by the way, Pre-trib, mid-trib, we believe here, pre-trib, but if you don't, you believe mid-trib, okay, seven-year tribulation period, I believe mid, mid, listen, it's okay, all right? I will say this, let it be unto you according to your faith, so if you want to stay, go right ahead, okay? You guys didn't get that. Tribulation's not going to be fun. Okay, so mid-tribbers, right? But here's the other thing. If the mid-tribbers are right, that means you should be prepping right now and saving stuff. And if I'm wrong and I don't get taken in the pre-trib and I'm still around the mid-trib, you have to share with me because you got to love your brother. 
who was under deception, okay? So let's not argue about this stuff, but this is one of the reasons why. And by the way, after chapter four, the church isn't mentioned anymore, by the way. Anyway, but I can keep going. We'll get in more to pre-mid. Let's get going. Verse eight. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the almighty. Rest, it's done. Put on your bathing suit. Verse nine. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. What's in Jesus? When you follow him, tribulation, the kingdom, but also a patient endurance as you abide in Christ. It's not all cotton candy and lollipops. Jesus is going to make your life better. No, you're actually, because listen, listen what, why he's suffering. He was suffering in prison on Patmos on account, you want to highlight that, of the word of God. He wouldn't bow down to what was popular in the culture. He wouldn't bow down to the emperor. He said, no, Jesus is Lord. I'm not bowing down to you. And so they put him in prison. Church, are we going to bow down to culture today? Or are we going to stand in what the word of God says? Also, his testimony. And this is the question. Are you willing to be canceled because of the word of God and because of his testimony? Because it's going to happen. As things continue to go the way they go, it's going to happen. Now, I've already been canceled. I can't get canceled anymore. You can't... They tried to cancel Jesus. It didn't work, did it? So as you walk in Christ, know that you're going to suffer persecution. That's why the Bible says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. It's going to come. But again, God is revealing stuff to you so that you're ready. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice. Oh, that, where did I see that before? You'll hear a voice behind you saying... Right? Isaiah, remember? I thought it was good. Like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Will, if you could put up the thing. We're going to get into this more because, listen, for us as a church, we're going to slow down when it comes to chapters 2 and 3 because those are the most important chapters for us as a church. So we're going to slow down. And then we'll pick it back up again once we get out of chapters 2 and 3. But these is, this is where the churches are. I just wanted you to see that. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, I want you to go down to verse 20 of Revelation chapter 1. And what does the Bible say lampstands are? Churches. So when you see lampstand in chapter 1, just for ease's sake... Just write churches above it. Just write churches above it. He's trying to describe something, and, and so that's why he uses that language. But just write churches above it. Is it hard to understand? No, it's not hard to understand. We have a key here to understand. Verse 13, and you want to highlight this. 
And in the midst, Revelation 1.13, in the midst of the lampstands, which is the churches, one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Church, Jesus walks in the midst of us. He's walking in the midst of us today. You know, Jesus, lay your hand on every person here today, I pray. And Jesus, please do it. He's actively, constantly walking in the midst of his beautiful bride because he loves her. And this is a powerful passage that you should meditate on. I want you to understand as well, with the long robe and a golden sash, that spoke to his priesthood. Priests wore that stuff. And why is that important? Because Jesus, the high priest, made a sacrifice on the cross. He died for us. It's important because priests were in charge of administering in the temple. And guess what? You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, come and take your rightful place as priest in your temple, the church. What's also important for priests that they did is they kept the fire burning. They kept the lamp burning. You ever heard people say, oh, if Christianity doesn't get it together in three generations, it's going to be extinct in America, right? No, false prophet. Is it the church's job to keep the lamp burning? It's the priest, Jesus' job to keep the lamp burning. Now, we join in that where it says in Timothy, fan into flame the fire that's in you, but the priest's job, the high priest's job, as he walks in the midst of us, his temple, his bride, his church, is that he's going to keep the fire burning. I don't know about you, but Jesus, come and burn in me, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, renew a steadfast, light me on fire, God. He's in the midst, guys. Moses didn't want to go, so Mo said no. And God said, I'm going to go with you. Joshua was whining, Mo's dead. Get up, go, do not be afraid. What? I'm with you. God is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us. He is in our midst. He is never going to leave us or forsake us. He said that to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. I'm with you always, even to the end of the days. And so that needs to be an all-consuming reality. And who's in your midst? This one that's listed here in verses 13 through 18. That's one not to be messed with. That's not the baby in the manger, Jesus. You ever seen that movie where somebody prays the baby Jesus because they like him better? No, no, no. That's not who he is. He's not the Jesus that's on the cross anymore. He's this Jesus. He's this Jesus, and he is alive. He is alive, and he is coming. He is coming. He is here because he's in the midst of us, but he's coming. 14, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. 
Please don't try to draw Jesus from here. It gets weird. It says like for a reason because God is indescribable. Verse 16, in his hand he held seven stars. And those are the angels. We'll see that in verse 20. From his mouth, understand right there, from his mouth, there's no like, is there? There's no like. You can put Hebrews 4.12 above that because. And by the way, just so you guys know, there's, there's about 400 verses in Revelation, but there's 800 references to the whole Bible. So you, you, this is why we're going so many different places because, and I even missed some already, right? Those who, who, who pierced him will see him and will weep. That's a prophecy from Zechariah. The book of Zechariah prophesies that about the, that, that, that Jesus would be pierced and killed. Uh, Psalm 22 talks about Jesus would be pierced on the cross. That was written a thousand years before Rome even took over. And this is the thing that trips you out. Jews didn't crucify people. They stoned people. And the crucifixion wasn't created until Rome. Rome came into power, but yet the Bible talked about the crucifixion a thousand years before Jesus even came. This is why, listen, if you've never given your life completely to Jesus today, stop it. And this is why, Acts 17, listen. Paul comes to these people worshiping an unknown God. And he says, God in the past has overlooked your ignorance. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. He's overlooked your ignorance. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, he's overlooked that ignorance. But you can't walk out of here today. You can't walk out. Saying that's a bunch of fairy tales. Now, this is factual stuff here that we're seeing come to pass. And so, again, if you do not bow now, you will bow later, but you will bow because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 17, when I saw him, and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Think about that for a second. Isaiah 11 talked about the fear of the Lord being part of the Holy Spirit's movement. When John sees Jesus, he falls dead. He falls dead. He's overwhelmed with an awe of God and falls dead. Jesus was the most spirit-filled person in the entire Bible, and never once did he roll on the ground giggling and laughing. And there is an absence of the fear of the Lord in this day. Now, I'm all for rolling on the floor, giggling and laughing. But when that becomes all you do, and there's people sleeping with their girlfriends and boyfriends in the church and living with one another before they're married, you think God's giggling and laughing? And there is an absence of the fear of the Lord? Are you kidding me?
fell as dead, but he laid his hand, and this is the grace of God. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 44. I mean, we are almost done, guys. I know I'm going over, but <clears throat> I knew it was going to happen. Unfortunately, you didn't. Some of you did. We did ask for a miracle, but I'm just too excited. There's just so much. <sighs> Isaiah 44, 6. It says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last. And you want to highlight that, besides me, there's no God. I'm the first and the last. Besides me, there's no God. Now, highlight that. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 1. See, when you get that little knock on the door, and it's Jehovah's non-witnessing Jehovah's, because they're really not Jehovah's witnesses, by the way. Um, They just... Anyway, so they come knocking on your door telling you their foundational doctrine is Jesus is not God. But you want to bring them first to Isaiah 44, and you want to show them, I am the first and the last besides me, there is no God. And you want to ask them, who is that? Who is that God? Then they will say what? Jehovah. That's Jehovah. There's no one but Jehovah. And then you want to take them to Revelation 1, 18, where it says, Well, 17, fear not, I'm the first and the last. Oh, who's he talking about? That's Jehovah again. Yeah, 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 let's keep reading. The living one, I died. Okay, when did Jehovah die? Oh, I got a problem with my doctrine. Yes, you do. Go knock on somebody else's door. I'm just kidding. Hopefully they give their life to Jesus because they see that the first and the last, Jesus died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the death of Hades Hopefully they see it. Hopefully they come into the kingdom. And they walk away from that false gospel that also says there's no hell. That's one of their doctrines as well. Who do you think wants you to believe there's no hell? So there's no punishment or justice for sin. Verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. We'll go ahead and put up that picture, please. In verse 19 here, it gives us the outline of this book. So it's, again, it's not complicated to understand. God gives us an outline in the first chapter of this book. So write the things, look at what it says, write the things that you have seen, that's chapter 1. Those things that are, that's chapters 2 and 3. And then the rest of the book is the tribulation and the bride coming back again. Things that will take place after this. So we get more into this as we go forward. Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels. We'll talk about that next week of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there you go. Chapter one. Worship team, come on up. So as we begin to close and worship, if you've really, really just been taking notes, I just want to go over a couple things that you might want to pray about as we're worshiping, as we're singing to the Lord. First of all, Lord, forgive me for walking towards revelation with the 
wrong mentality. Help me to walk with an expectation that you want to reveal, that you want to show, that you want to make it known. Forgive me. I want to approach this book with an expectation that you're going to speak. Um, God, give me the grace to help me read, to hear, and keep the words of this book. I need your grace to do that, God. Please. Holy Spirit, forgive me if I've not honored you the way that I should. Help me to worship you as God. Help me, God, to be willing to suffer for your word and to be canceled for your word and the testimony of who you are because I will not be silent. Jesus, help me to remember that you are always with me, that you walk in the midst of the church. So when there's a problem with this church at Bow Down, help me not to go to the pastor first. But help me to go to, I'm just tripping with you guys. Help me to go to you, Jesus, because you're walking in the midst. And then we see Jesus revealed. Let's worship him. And don't ever forget that when people see Jesus in the Bible, they fall as if dead. God, give us a reverence for you. Give us a reverence. Bring the fear of God and the awe of God back into the church because you want your bride to be holy and spotless and blameless without spot or wrinkle. The bride has made herself ready, Scripture declares. And God, we want to walk honoring your word, being ready for you when you come. So, Father, thank you for this time. Minister to us, God, we need you. If there's anyone that needs prayer, let them come, God. Just give them the grace to be able to come. And God, as we sing of you, as sing of your victory, God, have your way be glorified in this place. We need you, God. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.